Hi, welcome to The Church Split. My name is Will, and let's continue our series on the Trinitarian Doctrine. So, again, this is part three, so if you haven't watched the other videos, you probably shouldn't be here. You should probably start at the other ones, but I hope this has been helpful for you and a blessing in some way, shape, or form, because that is the goal here is to unite, it is to, to learn, and it is never the goal to obviously throw mud, and I'm hoping I'm doing this okay so far. So, Today's topic, we already discussed uh, the Trinity in the Old Testament, we talked about the Trinity in the New Testament, and we quoted a bunch of scripture that show that each parts of the Trinity are described as God. So today, we're going to be discussing the hierarchy in the Trinity. So, at the very beginning of creation, God spoke into chaos and created order. And ever since then, not ever since then, but ever since then, order was in the world. But oh, that's not when order began. I was about to say, I almost said that at that moment, that's when order began. But God existed before that, so he is a God of order. So I almost made a very theologically incorrect statement. Well, anyway, um, so the thing is, that that's the moment when order was brought into our universe specifically. And God is a God of order. He has a structure to everything. And there's a hierarchy with God. And this is why he tells us to obey authorities and that he puts authorities in the church. And there's a structure to everything with him. This is why we see even order in creation. You know, we talk about the food chain. That's order. That's structure. There, uh, we see a lot of, um, you know, uh, environmental changes and shifts and we see the earth kind of meld and mold into all these different things and it's always because there's a structure to it there's an order even when it looks like it's chaotic there's an order like when you look at an anthill for example it probably looks chaotic until you realize that there's a very deep order there and that's the thing with this the trinity within god's own being is order so let's talk about it there is a hierarchy in the trinity and again god is not uh God is not the author of confusion. He is the order of God. And there's the order of God versus the chaos of sin. And that is the whole story being told throughout scripture. So he tells us to obey our authorities and all these things. So I think it's important. So anyway, first off, I want to address the Father. God the Father is the head of the Trinity. If we're going to do like a triangle here, triangle, I feel like I'm doing Naruto. Um, but... <laughs> I'm a nerd. What do you want? Anyway, so at the head of the Trinity is God the Father. And so God the Father is the head, and the Son is subordinate to the Father. And we see this as an observation in Scripture. Not necessarily, not all these things are necessarily completely said out loud. Like It's not like God, Jesus walks on the scene and goes, by the way, guys, this is how the Trinity works. It never happens. It's always implied, and you can read it pretty clearly. Luke 22, 42 says, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Asking the Father's permission here. Okay, So he's asking the Father's permission to remove this cup from him, but he says, but not my will, yours be done. You'll notice that the Son is being subordinate to the Father, and we've already established that the Son is God. So we see, though, that the Son is completely subordinate to the will of the Father. And in John 5, 36, we also see this. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And so again, we see here, he's being subordinate to the Father's will. And then John 20, 21 says, Jesus said to them again, peace be with you as the Father has sent me. Even so, I am sending you. So he goes, hey, the Father sent me. Well, in order to be sent, though, whoever is doing the sending must be in charge. 
right? Uh, I'm a manager at work and I have, I have a, a bunch of guys that work in the warehouse and I send them out all the time. Like, hey, I, so-and-so, I need you to do this. So-and-so, I need you to do that. And so I send them out because I have the authority to send them. So if the father is sending Jesus, the father has authority. 1 John 4, 14 through 15 says this, and we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he is in God. So if God abides in him and he in God, how does that make sense? If you're only put, if you're fitting, not if the son is not God as well, but notice God sends him. Also, we see the spirit is subordinate to both the father and the son. So the spirit is the most subordinate one. And this is the, the part that the son and the father are both over in the hierarchy of the spirit. And I will ask the father, John 14, 16 through 17. And this is Jesus speaking. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. And then uh, verse 26, it says this, But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Now, if I sent somebody in my name to you, would you think that person sent in my name would be uh, subordinate under me and I would be in some way, shape, or form over them? Not necessarily over them in value, right? That's the problem. A lot of people see this this idea of a hierarchy as, well, that means Jesus is less valuable than God. And God the Father is the most valuable. No, it's saying that God, that these ones are subordinate, but subordinate doesn't mean you're less valuable, right? Again, at work, I am a manager and I have employees. But the thing is with these employees is I am not more valuable than them. I just have a different role than them. My role is to do this part and their role is to do that part. I can't be constantly doing their part or else I wouldn't be doing my job. And they can't be doing my job because someone has to do their job. That's the whole point. That's the point of a hierarchy. That's not saying that I, my life is more valuable than them or you know, if they're going to fire somebody or let somebody go, they should only let them go because they're the grunts, so to speak. So John 15, 26 says this, but when the helper comes, by the way, the helper is always referring to the Holy Spirit, but when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father. So now Jesus is saying, I will send to you send you this thing, this helper from the Father. Send you this helper from the Father. And he calls it the Spirit of Truth, who proceeds from the Father. He will bear witness about me. So again, we really see, we really see this coming through here. Like, hey, the, the helper, the spirit is from the Father. I'm sending him. He's sending him. We're all sending him. <laughs> He's subordinate to us. There's a hierarchy here. John 16, 7 says this, Nevertheless, I will tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Making this pretty clear. And last in this uh, chunk of verses I'm throwing at you, John 16, 13 through 15, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority. 
So the, I find that interesting. The Spirit will not be speaking on his own authority. But whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he, the Spirit, will take what is mine and declare it to you. And I, this is about as clear as Jesus can go, like, all right, guys. This is how this works, okay? I'm going to break this down for you. But as clear as Jesus can get on this, this is one of the strongest passages in Scripture that not only refers to Spirit coming in subordination to both the Son and the Father, but also shows that all three of them work together as a single deity, but yet are separate in duties. So, and that's the thing, is that because there's a hierarchy, that means one person's in charge and the other ones have to do other work. So, they have different responsibilities. Each part of the Trinity has a separate duty, and each one is quoted in Scripture doing various activities that only God can do. So, duties of the Father. I apparently have a dog here. Anyway, ugh. I apologize. Very unprofessional. Anyway, duties of the Father. The Father is the ultimate source cause, and creator of all things, okay? 1 Corinthians 8, 6 makes this clear. He goes, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. So notice how he goes, hey, God the Father, he is the reason, he's the one who, God the Father is the one at the very beginning who created all things. He, you could say, is the great creator. He's the one with, a, with um, in the Godhead, he's the one with the creative mind. We also see this attributed to Jesus later on where it goes through him all things and through him we, through whom we exist. So uh, God the Father created all things and through Christ is how we exist. So yeah, we're playing semantics to a degree here, but anyway. Revelations 4.11 says, Worthy are you, O our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. So here we see that the Father is responsible for divine revelation, and God breathed in his inspiration. So he goes, you created all things, and by all things we existed. And in 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17, we see that all scripture was breathed out by God. So this is God the Father here. Revelation 1, 1, at the very beginning of Revelation is also the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants. So this is important, again, to understand the fact that, hey, God is in charge of these areas. He is the one who, you know, sent Jesus. He's the one ahead of creation. He's the one ahead of divine revelation and uh, breathing the scriptures. The Father is also responsible at the very beginning for salvation. John 3, 16 through 17. For God so loved the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So he sent Jesus into the world, but notice how it was him. We oftentimes attribute all salvation to Jesus, but it was God the Father who sent Jesus. So God the Father is the one who is responsible for the salvation mechanism. So the Father is responsible for Jesus' human works, okay? 
And in John 5, 17, it says, but Jesus answered them, my father is working until now, and I am working. <laughs> so he's going, hey, I'm working, he's working, we're doing these things together. And then John 14, 10, a lot of things in John 14, I'm not sure if you've noticed. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. For the Father who dwells in me does his works. So the Father dwells in Christ as well, which is also a powerful thing. And so we see that God, the Father, was orchestrating all these events. He was the one you could almost say was, um, was is the mastermind behind it all, okay? Because he's the very top of the hierarchy. And then the duties of the Son. The Son is the agent in which God does various tasks. So if we have God, the Godhead, uh, God the Father, if he's over here doing uh, you know, setting, creating all things, separating the end from the beginning, then Jesus is the agent of which he does a lot of his work. So, uh, for example, Jesus was part of the creation, and he also is part of the maintenance of the universe. 1 Corinthians 8, 6 says, Yet for us there is one God, and the Father, from whom are all things, and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. So Jesus is the one who maintains it. God the Father created it. Jesus maintains it. Okay? All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Let's talk about Jesus in John 1, 3. Colossians 1, 1 16 through 17 says, For by him all things were created. Talk about Jesus. So again, Jesus was part of the creation of all things. And then we also see that Jesus is part of divine revelation. Now, if God is giving the words, it is important to recognize that Jesus is the word. So see how this works? John 1, 1 is where, remember we read that earlier. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and the word is logos there. So Matthew eleven twenty seven says, all things have been handed over to me by my father and no one knows the son except the father and no one knows the father except the son and anyone to whom the son chooses to reveal him and anyone to whom the son chooses to reveal him. Again, Godhead is in the Trinity being referred to as separate persons, but Jesus having his own responsibilities in here. Jesus is the agent in which we have salvation. God is the author of salvation, but Jesus is the agent of it. See, uh, it's, again, kind of like that manager scenario. I might have the, the great plan and the vision, but then I need my other people to enact that vision. I need agents to be able to do it. I can't orchestrate and do everything at once. Second Corinthians 5.19 says this, that is in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. God in Christ. So in Jesus was God, God was reconciling the world to himself. So Jesus was the agent by which God was bringing the world unto himself. Matthew 121, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. So here again, Jesus is the agent by which we are saved. So I think I've hit that nail a lot. But I think it's important. I'm just, but that we understand that there is a hierarchy and the duties of which Jesus is the agent of which all, all the plans are created by God and Jesus by which is the agent they're acted out on. So the Father does all things through the Son. Jesus is his agent in which he works with man. Jesus is the propitiation, meaning our replacement for sins, and therefore is the one who often stands for mankind. 
Now, the Holy Spirit has its own separate set of duties, and this is one that we interact with. This is the, the part of the Trinity that we personally interact with probably the most. Uh, the Holy Spirit is the avenue or the means by which God does many other tasks. So Jesus might be the agent, but the Holy Spirit is the avenue of which God accomplishes many tasks. So the Spirit was also part of creation, as mentioned in the first video of this series, where it says the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Job 26.13 says, by his wind, the heavens were made fair. And I want you to understand the fact that throughout scripture, God's spirit is referred to as a wind, also as the helper. So the Holy Spirit has a lot of names, I guess. He kind of just, they have, they switch back and forth with his name. But Job 26, 13 says, by his wind, the heavens were made fair. His hand pierced the fleeing serpent. And it appears that the spirit was primarily involved in separating the heaven and the earth when you read the creation account. So he was part of creation, but it seemed like Jesus, if Jesus was the one who maintains it, God was the one who created it, it seems like the spirit was kind of the one who separated it and kind of got into meticulous details of it, maybe. I don't know. That's all philosophical at this point. Uh, the word is kind of vague on this. So also the Holy Spirit is part of the divine revelation. So if God is the one who gives the word, and the word is Jesus, then the Holy Spirit is the very uh, is the very presence and agent of which God works the revelation. So we feel so you could almost say that this like this multi-step process and the Holy Spirit is where it ends. It begins with the Father, ends with the Spirit. And Jesus is simply the word being transferred. So Ephesians 3, 5 says, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations. So he's saying, hey, it's not known for other people in other generations like Moses and Isaiah, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. So he's saying, hey, other people didn't know this. Other people have understood this, what the Spirit was, but we do. And here it is, guys, right here, it has been revealed to us as his apostle and his prophets. Jesus also promised that the Holy Spirit would later come by the one and be, be the one who would guide them and guide us. In 1 Peter 1.21, it says, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God, here's divine revelation, as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So again, God, God created, um, you could say God was the one who created the word, Jesus was the word, and then the word was carried by the Holy Spirit to man to move with their prophecies. So prophecies came from the Holy Spirit. He was the final agent here. The Spirit would fall upon them and reveal the truth of God. The Holy Spirit is the one who indwells us upon salvation, and it is through faith in Jesus Christ. So we have we put our faith and trust. So and again, it all works in this hierarchy structure. God is, is so righteous and so perfect, we cannot live up to it in our sinful nature. So God, in the form of his son, came and died on the cross for us so that we can put our faith and trust in him. And once we put our faith and trust in him, we receive the Holy Spirit in which we are sanctified unto God. So that way we can stand before God the Father, who is so righteous he could not be in the presence of our sin. But because of Jesus, we can be through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. It's this constant hierarchy breakdown. So John 3, 6, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit 
is spirit. And then Titus 3, 5 says this, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. And then in 1 Peter 1, 2, he says, again, according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, in sanctification of the Spirit. So we see the Spirit here is sanctifying us. Sanctifying means basically bringing us unto God as making us more and more like him. So the, the duties of the Holy Spirit indwell, deal with actually bringing prophecy, uh, bringing the prophecy, bringing the word to, to them. And he's more the more intimate one in this, in this uh, relationship. He's the one closest to us. And he's the one who sanctifies us closer and closer to God. And then the Spirit is the one who um, also empowered Jesus' works. And that's important too. So Jesus being God, but the Holy Spirit is who empowers them. And that was distinct because the, whole, the Spirit is also what empowers the church with uh, the power of God. So Isaiah 61.1, remember Jesus quoted this, says, The Spirit of God, of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. So, and Jesus even quotes this in Luke 14. Remember, I mentioned that, I think, in the second video of the series. Uh, it's all, no, no, I did mention it in the first video. So, he mentions this. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. It, the Spirit is who empowered Jesus Christ. And then Acts 10.38 says, How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. So, again, we see that the Spirit is where divine power comes from. And so we see that Jesus is an agent. God is, is God the Father is a sense the mastermind. He is the Godhead of the Trinity. Then we have Jesus who's the agent, and then we have the Holy Spirit who is the in a sense the power of God. This helps us conclude that all things done by the Trinity is through the power of not of the Holy Spirit and thereby by God. So like I said, when you're really studying this, you really start understanding the fact that the Holy Spirit really does completely work in a unique fashion. So anyway, that here concludes the third part. Yeah, the third part. It shouldn't be hard. It's Trinity 3. Hmm, works together. This concludes part three of our series on the Trinitarian Doctrine. I hope this was helpful for you because, honestly, the Trinitarian Doctrine is something that comes under attack a lot and is oftentimes misunderstood. And I hope this can help you uh, be thankful for the nature of God and all the things that he has done for us and help give you a better understanding of how God works. Again, there's a hierarchy to him. There's a structure of which God works. And this makes sense because he is the God of order and he is the God who brings order from chaos and he has a God of authority, which makes sense that even in his own being, you would see those things present. So anyway, I hope this is helpful. Like and subscribe, all that good stuff. And this has been The Church Split.